Good morning. Okay, today is the last sermon in the Roman series. Hasn't it been a wonderful, rich study? Let's give Pastor Pete a hand. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Now, this morning, we're going to focus on the last chapter of Romans, but we're not going to begin there. First, we're going to look at what the Bible means by the phrase, the body of Christ. And then we're going to look at the fivefold ministry. Now, Pastor Pete and I were at PalCon this past week, which was a pastor and leaders conference for the uh, Church of Nazarene. And uh, by the way, Zach, the food there is great. We ate in their cafeteria. It was wonderful. And we had a wonderful time, too, of fellowshipping there and learning. So um, I think that one of the focuses there was the fivefold ministry, and I think that we're going to hear more and more about that from the denomination in the weeks to come. So after we look at the fivefold ministry today, we'll proceed to Romans 16 for a practical application of that truth. Therefore, we're going to really cover some ground today. So you better fasten your seatbelts. Let's go. When Jesus was born and came to earth, he used the gifts of the Spirit that were given to him at his baptism when the Holy Spirit descended upon him. He healed. At times, he knew the thoughts of others. He performed miracles. He prophesied. He had supernatural knowledge and wisdom to name just a few of the gifts that he received. And he interacted with people who felt compassion and love through his ministry to them. Slide two. After his death and resurrection, Jesus ascended to heaven. But he continued his ministry through the church, which he calls his body. His body is an extension of himself and his ministry. Therefore, the body of Christ is a temporary metaphor that explains the function of the church between the time of Jesus' ascension to heaven and his return in the second coming. During that time period, Jesus is no longer literally on earth. He is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. People do not hear him or see him. However, since the church takes the role of being his extension on earth, Through the church, the people can see and connect to Jesus through his followers. The church becomes his hands and feet, and the world sees Jesus through us, his body. To accomplish that purpose, the church was given supernatural gifts by the Holy Spirit. These are the same abilities that the Holy Spirit gave to Jesus, who exhibited them throughout his ministry. The Holy Spirit also gives to the church five ministry gifts. They are the same ministry gifts that Jesus functioned through. And because Jesus wants us to continue his ministry, we have been given those ministries as well. Slide three. We see Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. 
This will continue until we have all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So these ministry gifts are to equip God's people to continue the ministry of Jesus and build up the church both from within and from without as we grow. All of this will move more believers into full maturity in Christ. So let's look at how Jesus functioned in each one of the above ministries to understand how we are to function in them. Slide 4, Hebrews 3.1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, who we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Slide 8. An apostle means someone who is sent, and certainly Jesus was sent to earth to die and to establish the church. So according to scripture, the very meaning of the word Jesus was the very first apostle. How about prophet? Well, a prophet does at least one of two things. They foretell the future, and they foretell what God wants to say to the people. Jesus did both. Matthew 23, 37 to 39. Jesus prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem, and his encounter with the Samaritan woman is recorded in John 4 where he speaks directly to her need. Was Jesus an evangelist? He preached repentance and announced God's kingdom as stated in Matthew 4.17. One of the aspects of the evangelist that I hadn't thought of before, before going to Palcon, is that the evangelist is a connector to people. They build a bridge between the people and the gospel through relationships. So if you ever have a party at your house where you want to be able to reach the non-church, make sure you got some evangelists there because they'll connect to them. Was Jesus a pastor? Yes, because the word pastor means shepherd, and he certainly pastored his little flock of disciples, even calling himself the good shepherd in John 10:11. How about teacher? Was Jesus a teacher? Definitely. In the scriptures it makes a point how often he taught and that he used parables in his teachings. And that's found in Matthew 13:35. So Jesus ministered as an apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist. And he continues those ministries through us, the church. Now, the ministries of the pastor and the teacher and the evangelist, we're fairly familiar with those. Now, the prophet points God's people in the direction that they need to go. At times, the prophets might even foretell future events. We see an example in Acts 21, 8 to 11, where it mentions that Philip, the deacon, and the evangelist had four daughters who prophesied. And in the same passage, Paul receives a personal prophecy from the prophet Agabus 
In addition, in 1 Corinthians 14, 29 to 33, Paul wisely counsels the churches that prophecies that are given to the church should be judged by the other prophets before that way they are confirmed before the church receives it. In every area of ministry, there will be leaders who are gifted to lead in that ministry. Along with those leaders, God calls the entire church to support and to grow individually in those ministries too. Therefore, every Christian has been gifted to participate in at least one of the five-fold ministries. Are you a growth group leader? Then you're supporting the shepherding, pastoring ministry of this church. Are you a Sunday school teacher? Then you are supporting the teaching ministry. And you're probably using materials that were created by other teachers. Brothers and sisters, it is an honor to function and continue in the ministries of Jesus. Now that leaves just one ministry gift that I have saved for last because I want to spend a little bit more time on it. And that's the ministry of the apostle. As previously stated, Jesus is the first apostle. He appointed 12 to be at the core of his ministry. He chose them to testify about them, and he made sure that they always had front row seats to everything he said. That was very important because they were to be his eyewitnesses. Their testimony would create what we read in the New Testament. Every book of the New Testament was either written by or written by someone who was connected to one of the apostles. In slide six, we see that the core of 12 was very special, and their names are listed when Jesus called them out. Simon, also called Peter. Then Andrew, Peter's brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. Philip, Bartholomew. Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector. James, another James, the son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, which meant that he was a revolutionary against Rome. Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed Jesus and killed himself, but who was replaced with Matthias in Acts 1, 21 to 26. Through their eyewitness testimony and teachings, they would lay the foundation of the church. Ephesians 2, 19 to 22 on slide 7. Consequently, you, now Paul is talking to the Gentiles here, so the you is the Gentiles. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Carefully listen to this. Built on the foundation of the apostles, meaning the twelve and the prophets, with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone, In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. Slide 8. By choosing the 12 apostles, Jesus is repeating something that he had done before. When God established the nation of Israel, he did so through the 12 sons of Jacob recorded in Genesis 49. 
Each son became the head or source of a tribe. Except for Joseph, he was doubly blessed with two tribes descending from him through his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. With Joseph's two sons heading two tribes, technically, there was 13 tribes, right? Now the tribe of Levi became a special tribe set aside from the other 12 for spiritual duties. The tribe of Levi Levi produced the priests and Levites that worked in the temple and later in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. So technically, they make 13 tribes. The 12 tribes, including Joseph's sons and the special tribe of Levi. So about two millenniums later, Jesus appoints 12 apostles, just like God appointed the 12 tribes of Israel. 12 tribes and the special tribe, Levi. Now let me ask you something. Besides the 12 apostles that we have just read about, was there a special apostle too? Yes, indeed. The apostle Paul. The apostle Paul never met Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry. His encounter with Jesus was supernatural after Jesus ascended back to heaven. Paul claimed that he was never taught by the twelve or anyone else. Instead, he was personally taught by Jesus through revelations and visions. He never felt that he was one of the twelve. He couldn't be because he had no part of Jesus' earthly ministry. But he did believe that he had equal authority to the twelve and even challenged Peter once. Furthermore, he believed that Jesus had called him specifically to be an apostle to the Gentiles. That's to the non-Jewish nation and people groups. So the nation of Israel consisted of twelve tribes and the special tribe of Levi. Jesus' church was founded on the witness and testimony of 12 apostles, along with the teachings and ministries of the special apostle Paul. Now, understand something. In Israel, and the tribe of Levi, they had a succession plan. It went through each generation. But it worked a little differently in the church. There is no succession plan for the 12 and for the apostle Paul. Theirs was a special place in ministry that happened just once. But there is sort of a succession plan in another group of apostles that uh, if you would kind of be like a lowercase a apostle. The 12 and Paul were Jews. None of them were white, black, Hispanic, Asian, or Indian. None had blonde hair, red hair, blue, or hazel eyes. Why was that? Because God honored Israel and the Jews with the birth of Jesus and the birth of the church. Therefore, in the beginning, the church was limited to just the Jews. And then somewhere between three to eight years after the founding of the church, it was opened up to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. They became a part of the church. The first one was Cornelius and his household. So the apostles were made up of all Jews and they were all men. Why were they all men? Because the purpose was to give a legal testimony to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. 
And women could not give a legal testimony in court at that time. The bias of the time said that their testimony was untrustworthy. Now, in addition to the twelve then and Paul, there was another group of apostles that ministered alongside of Paul and the twelve. These are what were meant by the gift, the ministry gift of apostles that we read about in Ephesians. These were sent out by both the Holy Spirit and the church to spread the good news about Jesus in other regions where the gospel had not yet been preached. They included Barnabas in Acts 14, 14, and James, the half-brother of Jesus, recorded in Galatians 1, 19. Today, the term apostle may not be used much, but we still have these apostles like Barnabas and like James. They are what we call now church planters. They'll start new church works. And also those missionaries that go to foreign lands to establish new churches there. And then connected to them, to these apostolic leaders, will be others who assist in the ministry. Maybe they're providing support areas like in education or health care. Okay, so how about this other group of apostles like Barnabas and James, the half-brother of Jesus? Were there any limitations or special requirements in order to be apostles? Did they have to be Jews? No, there isn't. Believers of every race, culture, nationality are gifted and called to function in any one of the five areas of ministry, including both men and women. Slide 10, Galatians 3, 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Do you remember being taught this in Sunday school? Okay. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door and see all the people. Well, that's what Paul is going to do in Romans 16. He's going to introduce us to some of the people that he knew and were dear to his heart. So we'll look at these friends of Paul and we'll see if we see any of the fivefold ministry there. Romans 16, 1 to 2. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sincrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help She may have need of you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Centria is a village in the municipality of Corinth in Greece. Phoebe is a deacon, which means that she was a church leader alongside of the elders. This would place her in the pastoral shepherding ministry. In this passage, we understand that Phoebe has been given the responsibility of delivering this letter to the Roman congregation. As such, she would also answer any questions about the letter. In addition to that, she was to conduct other church business. Some speculate that since Paul wanted to and planned to stop by Rome on his way to establishing a new church in Spain that Phoebe was there to make the needed contacts and to secure official permissions. 
She is called also a benefactor. This may point to providing financial funds, but it is also a term that Paul used in his other epistles to mean officials who preside over the congregation, again emphasizing her beneficial leadership role. Slide two. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Priscilla and Aquila evidently placed their lives at risk for Paul's sake. We don't know any details concerning that, but we do know that she and Aquila had a long relationship with Paul in Corinth where they shared their home and their business with him and assisted with the churches. It appears that they have a house church now in their home in Rome, which places them in the pastoral shepherding ministry. They are also called co-workers with Paul. This is a strong word indicating that they were closely connected as a colleague. Also, Priscilla and Aquila are known as teachers in the scriptures. They took the preacher Apollos aside, and as Acts 16.26 kindly says, Priscilla and Aquila explained to him the way of God more accurately. Since the scripture lists her name first, it indicates that she was probably the main teacher. In Romans 16.3, Paul does the same thing. He purposefully acknowledges Priscilla in her leadership by naming her first. Paul also names her first in 2 Timothy 4.19. And he's honoring her in that way here. But in Acts 18.2 and 1 Corinthians 16.19, he follows the customary form of listing Aquila first because he is her husband. Therefore, Priscilla and Aquila were both leaders in the pastoral house church ministry and in the teaching ministry. Slide 13. Greet my dear friend, Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Although this is all that Paul says about him, it says a lot about his character To have been the first convert in the region of Asia, specifically Ephesus, it meant that he had a lot of courage. He obviously overcame or or was unconcerned what his neighbors, friends, and families would think about his conversion to Christianity. Usually those concerns would have made others hesitant to convert, and therefore the first convert is the hardest. Epinetus stepped out and led the way for the church to be established. Indeed, he would always be dear to Paul's heart. And I'm sure that his leadership did not stop there. Tradition says that he later became a bishop. That would place him in the pastoral shepherding ministry. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. We don't know anything about Mary. But Paul greets her warmly and acknowledges her work in the church. The word work is the same word that Paul uses for himself to describe his ministry. Slide 14. Romans 16, 7. 
Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Now this verse has a very interesting history, which I have abbreviated for your sake and for mine. There are two questions connected to this verse. Is Junia female? And is Junia an apostle? Perhaps your Bible reads the name as Junia. So you might wonder, what's the issue if you didn't know something about the history here? Up until 1927, all English Bibles read Junia. And then from 1927 until 1970, just that period of time, English Bibles read it instead as Junius. That is all English Bibles except the King James. The King James kept it as Junia from the beginning all the way through. The other, the other uh, English Bibles used a masculinized name, Junius, a name that never existed. Slide 15. Why the change? Briefly, in 1927, an accent mark was added to the Greek text that pointed to a masculinized name, Junius, instead of Junia. And of course, that Greek text was used by all of the Bible translators. So everyone just went with Junius. Then after 1970, the correction was made, and now most English translations have her as Junia, a female once again. Those translations that made the correction is the New King James Version. Now, the original King James always had it, so it's the New King James that is corrected. The New Century Version, New American Bible, the Revised English Bible, the New Revised Standard Version, Oxford Inclusive Version, and the New Living Translation, probably more than you wanted to know. Those that still use Junius today, though, are the Living Bible, the NIV of 1973. But the other um, editions of the NIV do have Junia, and I use Junia. I used the NIV in my book, so it's they've corrected it in the recent ones. New Jerusalem Bible still uses it. The Message in the Contemporary English Version still uses it. Slide 17. And those are those. I forgot to tell him to switch it. Okay, next slide. Okay, Patrick Mead wrote in his article, Who Killed Junia? We can sum up the entire argument against Junia being a female by referencing just one scholar, Joseph Barber Lightfoot. As the 19th century became became the 20th, he wrote in his notes on the text that Junia must be Junius or male, because Paul called her or him an apostle, and only men can be apostles. Hmm. More recently, there is a question of what the verse means. Some say, okay, sure, Junia is Junia, and it's not Junius. 
But it doesn't mean that she and Andronicus were apostles. It just means that they were really, really liked by the apostles. Of course, that argument begs the question, then why the the sex change? If that's all it meant, why change her sex? Slide 18. John Chrysostom, who lived in the late 300s and early 400s AD, was no fan of women. He said some pretty nasty things about them. For instance, he says, if you, want, if you go to advice to get advice from a woman, you might as well go and get it from an animal. So he was no friend of women, which makes it especially noteworthy what he says. He says, to be an apostle is something great. But to be outstanding among the apostles, just think what a wonderful song of praise that is. They were outstanding, Junia and Andronicus, on the basis of their works and virtuous actions. Indeed, how great the wisdom of this woman must have been that she was even deemed worthy of the title of apostle. Now, that was common knowledge in his day. Okay. So Paul says Andronicus and Junia were Jewish Christians who came to Christ before he did. He also said that they had been in prison with them, so they suffered for Christ. He called them both outstanding among the apostle. Now Paul doesn't mean among the twelve, since neither of them were a part of the twelve when Jesus called out the 12 apostles. So they must be a part of that later group of apostles that were sent out to establish the church during the first century and thereafter. That group, remember, included Barnabas and also James, the half-brother of Jesus. It is possible that they may have even been a part of founding the church there in Rome. It is also possible that they were related. They could have been brother and sister, or they could have been a married couple. What, whichever, they were really one dynamic duo. Then in verses 8 through 16, Paul goes on to greet and acknowledge a number of friends. Slide 19. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stactus. Greet Apellus whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Wow, what tender words by Paul. A dear friend, co-worker, an apolis whose love for Christ has stood the test. Man, I bet he has some stories he could tell. He stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard for the Lord. Greet my dear friend Perses, another woman who has worked very hard. Three men. And four women who Paul says worked hard for the Lord. That speaks volumes because remember, Paul calls himself a worker too. 
And he called the fourth woman Perseus, his dear friend. Slide 20. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Wow, what a statement. Paul certainly knows how to speak the language of honor, doesn't he? He goes on to say, and his, Rufus's mother, who has been a mother to me too. Are you catching a glimpse here of the love and honor that are among them that are working in ministry together? Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Patrobus, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. You'll never know how much I had to practice to get those names. <laughs> Aren't you glad you don't have to read them? <laughs> okay. Okay, these five men that Paul counted close enough to mention by name. That's awesome. In addition, Paul references brothers and sisters that he doesn't name, probably because paper wasn't cheap and the list was long. Great Philologus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Again, Paul greets three more men and two women. Although Paul has never been to Rome, he knows these people that live in Rome now because he has met them elsewhere in ministry. You know, Christians may move around, but we always stick together. Through this passage, we have met many of the people that were dear to Paul's heart. Some were leaders in ministries, but I assure you that all of them were involved in ministry because that's how they knew Paul, and that's how Paul knew them. You know, that's how it works today, too. You get to know people when you are involved in ministry. It's hard to get to know people by just coming on Sunday morning. But when you give yourself to ministry, you become connected to so many brothers and sisters. And those roots of fellowship will grow, grow very deep. Plus, we get to participate in Jesus' ministry. Now, I don't mean for that to sound like an option, because it's not. If we are followers of Jesus and have received the Holy Spirit, then we have been placed in his body, and we have been given spiritual gifts to be used in the fivefold ministry of apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, I mean pastor, shepherd, teacher, and evangelist. Now, if you are uncertain of what your spiritual gifts are or the ministry that you should be working in, please see Pastor Pete or myself. Lastly, in closing this list in Romans 16, Paul encourages them to greet one another with a holy kiss. You know, I just wonder, maybe this is Paul's way of saying, give everybody a kiss for me. So on your way out today, <laughs> greet, what, greet at least seven people <laughs> with a holy kiss. Or on second thought, maybe a firm handshake or a light hug. 
would do just as well. So go in the Lord and be blessed by the Lord today. Amen.